At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. So this morning, I want us uh, to look to God's Word just for a few moments as we look ahead. And really, I want us to talk today about how do we be a part of building a church that lasts, Because if we look around, we see that churches are dying and closing all over the place all the time. And uh, I was reading some statistic that said uh, up to 35 to 40% of churches will not survive the pandemic. And that's a shocking statistic that lighthouses and communities all throughout uh, the United States may close as a result of this. Maybe it's because people have become you know, disinterested in the church or they can't financially support themselves. And so as we talk about this, as, and, and we're in this place at 15 years, it's important that we look to the future, not just for today, but we want to live lives that are making impacts on the future. And so how do we build a church that lasts? We're going to look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. You know, it's been great to celebrate God's faithfulness and to our church and to our community. As our church family has been a gospel witness to Centerline in the Warren area since 1934. And the church in its long history has experienced a lot of great times, a lot of good times, a lot of dynamic growth and and sending of missionaries and mobilizing and multiplying people. Uh, This church has a long history of a lot of good times. This church has also walked through and survived some really hard times, some economic troubles and difficulties, and some church disagreements in the past. And, you know, even after 15 years since the merge, we've experienced some really, really good times. We've seen multiplying of ministry, and we've seen new ministries begin. We've, we've seen many people get baptized, and we've experienced some steady growth. And even last year, for the first time in our 15-year existence, we exceeded our budget. God has been faithful. God has slowly been faithful, and he's been working in us and through us. And now as our church finds itself walking through some challenging times, we see that the, the, the wave of momentum that we were riding going into March and with the global pandemic and our ministry rhythm and everything uh, kind of being shifted, we find ourselves in a very precarious place. We find ourselves once again needing to reestablish our relationship with God, reminding ourselves that we are in desperate need of his direction, that we are in desperate need of his power. We're in desperate need of his desire. What is his desire for us moving forward? And you know, we also see something happening in our culture that's kind of shocking. In 2019, for the first time, the majority of Americans did not identify themselves as evangelical Christians. Back in 2009, 51% of Americans considered considered themselves Christians. In 2019, 10 years later, that decreased to 43%. Also in that time, the the number of people that described themselves as having no religious affiliation, we call them the nuns, the nuns that have no religious affiliation. In 2009, 17% of the US population considered themselves to have no religious affiliation. 10 years later, that grew to 23%. Almost a quarter of Americans, 20, nearly 25%, one in four people in America no longer have any type of religious affiliation. 
Some might look around and see that and see what's happening in our culture and might just say, you know what, it's, it's time to give up. It's, it's time to retreat. Let's, instead of engaging the world, let's, let's hunker down and let's, let's get into our small Christian huddles. Let's keep our head down and let's let this, what the world's gonna do, let that just happen to the world and let us just wait for Jesus' return. And you know, there are some that are choosing to, to do that. There are some churches that have said, hey, it's too scary out there. It's too dangerous out there. We can't share our faith at the office like we used to. We can't go out and, and talk about Jesus when we're at the grocery store. So let's just, let's keep ourselves isolated. Let's keep ourselves safe and we'll ride this out. Well, I want you to understand that that's the absolute wrong response. May our campus not be guilty of retreating. But may we see this season as an opportunity. See that God is doing what God has always been doing. The Bible says that God is in the business of creating a harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And if we see that the workers in America are decreasing, the harvest isn't getting any less. This is our time, this is our season to not shrink back with the gospel message, but it's our opportunity to engage. I am confident that the church will continue. Though some churches may not survive, the church, God's bride, will continue to grow and to thrive until he returns to take her home. We have amazing opportunities before us. And today as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want us to see quite clearly and plainly that God has designed the church to grow. In its very DNA, God has designed the church to grow. And it's interesting that we choose that I chose this passage today because I was looking back at some of the old bulletins from the early from 2005. And I came across a, a bulletin. This sermon that I'm preaching was actually preached um, August 15th, I believe it was, in 2005. August 14th, 2005. It was in that time where uh, the church, Redeemer Baptist Church and uh, Woodside Bible Church have agreed to, to merge together. And it was in this transition period before they, they reopened again and relaunched. And uh, the title of the message back then was, Who's in Charge? And so I think it's appropriate that we, and you'll see as we get into this text today, just how uh, meaningful and how connected this is to our current context. You know, at the time, back in 2000, early 2005, Redeemer had seen some challenging days. And earlier this week, I actually read a letter that, that Pastor Vince wrote to some of our missionary partners. And in this letter, it was, it was a really amazing letter, and I, sh I should have brought it for you today. But if, I'll, if you want it, I'll email it to you. It was an amazing letter as Pastor Vince is, is trying to talk to our ministry partners of what God has been doing at Woodside and in, or at Redeemer. And in this letter, he talks about the difficult times that the church had faced, just being real about the, the sense in which Redeemer had found itself in deep decline that there were fewer and fewer people showing up on a Sunday morning. And even though the work of the Lord was still continuing, people being baptized, people growing in their faith, the, the community all around it and the church culture was in a place of desperation. The church had gone through a time of a split and, and the large facilities here became a huge financial burden. And the church and the leaders of the church had continued to pray and fast and seek the Lord of his direction. And they'd come to the point of just saying, hey, you know what? It's, it's time we sell the church building. It's time we get to the point of where we, we put this place up on the market and then we as a church go find a smaller place and continue ministry there. That's the decision that they had come to. 
And then they began praying for a miracle. And I love how Dina and I were talking this week and she said, she said, you know what? The greatest thing about, that I learned through all of this is that we are praying for a miracle and God provided Woodside. In the right time and in the right way, because of relationships and because of the work of the Lord, Pastor Vince and Pastor Doug had the opportunity to talk together. And Pastor Doug, the Lord laid on his heart after they had just built the new building at the Rochester Road uh, location. Just after they had done that, uh, Pastor Doug was like, hey, God's given us a bigger heart, a bigger heart for the church, not just our church, but for the church. What if God is positioning Woodside to help churches that are struggling to keep lighthouses open? And through the relationship and through God's work, God allowed the light to continue here. Praise God for that. Woodside was the miracle that our church needed. And even though they'd gone through difficult days, God answered their prayers. And I am confident that God will be faithful to answer our prayers in these days because God has designed the church to grow. Not just grow numerically, not just see more and more people come, but to grow in number, but to grow in depth, to grow in a deeper relationship with the God of the universe, the God that has created us to worship him. And so today, as we look at this passage, I want us to, to look at it from two perspectives. First of all, there's the individual perspective. As, as the commands that God gives today in the, in the text, they are deeply individual to each one of you personally. This is a call for us to grow personally, but it's also a call to the church, to the family of God in a specific location. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in a city called Corinth. And his intended purpose was to be written to the individual, but also to the church, because the church found itself in a very difficult place. You see, Paul was actually the one during his second missionary journey that he came to Corinth and he planted the church there. He stayed there for about 18 months and stayed with a couple, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And while they were serving there together, they uh, were making tents and he was providing uh, through making tents and selling tents and all of that stuff. He was making his living, but he was also very active in planting the church. And we see that the gospel began to take hold in the city of Corinth. And what was so amazing is that the city of Corinth at the time was, deeply, was a, a deeply immoral culture. In that culture, they embraced and celebrated every kind of sin. Sin was normalized. And so to, to, to be wrong and to do wrong and to do all of these evil things was just uh, par for the course. And there was uh, nothing to, to restrain people from living out all of their passions. And so Paul now, years later, writes this letter to the Corinthian believers because they'd come to the place in their lives where they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. They had a relationship with the God of the universe. But Paul was seeing a dangerous trend in the lives of the people. You see, the believers there were living worldly lives. They were saved, but they were not seeking in holiness. Instead of seeking holiness, they were pursuing the practices of the world. And so Paul here writes this letter to encourage them. And I think there's some things we can learn from, from this today. You see, I think, first of all, what we need to understand is the church, it, in order for the church to grow, it must understand its place in the world. Christians, we must understand our place in the world. We are called to live distinct lives 
from the world. Our lives should look different than our non-Christian brothers and sisters. We should look different. We should think different. We should act different. We should love different things. And we should love in different ways. That's what God calls us to do. And so as we look at this passage today, there are two truths I want us to see as we think about and consider how we are to grow. The first is that we are called to commit to spiritual growth. We are called to commit to spiritual growth. Look at what Paul writes in verse one of chapter two, or chapter three. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants... And he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now we see that Paul begins with an encouragement, but it comes in the form of a rebuke. Now, I I don't think there's a direct correlation between the the situation that Paul is addressing and what we're experiencing here today, but I do think there are some similarities. I do think that the culture that we find in Corinth being very, very divisive and being very, very perverse was a similar culture to what we're engaged in today. You see... What was taking place is even the Christians in Corinth, they had gotten stuck in their spiritual growth. They had, they'd come to know Jesus and believe in Jesus, but they'd stopped walking in Jesus' way. We see here that they were people that were living in the flesh, not of the spirit. And we see even in this passage that there was evidence that they were no longer producing spiritual fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They'd stop producing those fruit, and instead we see two of the fruit that they were producing. These are fruits of the flesh. For jealousy and strife was continuing to grow in their lives. They were behaving in human ways. Their lives were not different from the world. They had become lax in the pursuit of holiness. They had become lax in their spiritual growth, and they allowed their culture to be a larger influence on their lives and their kingdom citizenship. This is a a, a very real danger for the church today. And I'm not saying it's something that I see necessarily in our church, but there is the danger that is there. There is a danger to take our American identity and our American culture and try to merge that together or become synchronistic and bring those two things together with our Christian faith. And really what we need to understand is much of the American culture today is absolutely devoid of what is true in our Christian faith. And so to have those two, we've got to be very, very careful that we're watching ourselves and making sure that we are growing in in our spiritual uh, growth, that we're seeing ourselves committing to growing deeper spiritually. 
something that we must commit ourselves to because we never arrive. You're never going to get to the place where you've got it all figured out. We've got to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. In verse four of this passage, we see uh, that the way that the Corinthian Christians were living worldly is that they weren't living in unity. They were living in opposition to one another. They had allowed themselves to disagree and form factions inside the church. There were two groups. You can see it right there. There was the Apollos group and there was the Paul group. And what I want us to see is we live in the world today too is that the world constantly seeks to pit people against one another. There's always the camp of wanting to determine who's right and who's wrong, who's in and who's out, and that should never show up in the church because we're all one in Christ. But this is how it happened. Paul, Paul says this is how the division has come about because they're looking at following the personality of a leader instead of the truth. You see, what Paul says, I came along and I planted Paul was the one that began the gospel witness there in Corinth and people began to believe and God called Paul there for a season and then God called Paul away and then on the heels of Paul comes Apollos and Paulus was a different personality. Apollos was a different type of leader. He preached the same message but did it in a different way. He brought a new flavor or a different flavor to the gospel message and what has happened is because the people were coming to church living worldly ways, they thought that those you either had to follow Paul or you had to follow Apollos because one was right and one was wrong. And what Paul is saying is, no, you're misseeing the whole situation and what God is doing. Paul had a purpose. Apollos had a purpose. But their purpose was not to be a personality that they follow, but their purpose was to point the church to the person of Jesus. See, we don't follow personalities. We, we don't follow people. We follow the direction that they point us to. That's why you know, sometimes it's so hard when we see uh, our Christian brothers or sisters that might have been in leadership at one time when they fall and they fail, fall away because that does happen. And as sad as that is, sometimes our faith in Jesus is shaken when we see someone fall. And I want you to know that we don't follow the person because people will fail you. We follow the person of Jesus. And you may be here, you're like, well, why do we, what, what's the whole thing about Jesus? Why, why is Jesus so important? And I want you to understand why Jesus is so important. First of all, Jesus is so important is because you and I are broken. You and I are sinners. You see, God has designed us to, to follow him and to worship him. And we look at God's design in our life and we say, I reject that. We reject God's rule over our life, and the Bible calls that sin. And even though God, through his word, has laid out all the ways that we need to live in order to be at peace with God and to be at peace with others, we have taken God's word, and we've taken God's ways, and we've rejected it. And we live now in a world where there's so much corruption, and there's so much pain, and there's so much agony, and there's so much sin. And the Bible says, because God is just, there's coming a time when all sin will be judged. Your rebellion and my rebellion will be judged and there will be a penalty that will be paid for that. Those that die in their trespasses and sins go to a place called hell for eternity where they experience the wrath of God. You may say, well, pastor, that's not an encouraging message. Well, no, it's a truthful message. 
But God loves us so much that he didn't leave us there. And this is where Jesus comes in. You see, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, came to earth to live a perfect life. In every way, he was obedient to the Father. In every way that you and I were disobedient, Jesus was obedient. So he lived a perfect life. And he ended up going to a cross because, as I told you, there must be a penalty. The penalty for sin must be paid. Something has to die. And because Jesus was perfect, he went to a cross, and the Bible tells us that all the sin of the world was placed on him, and he bore the wrath of God. So your sin and my sin was placed on Jesus, and he took the penalty that was due you and due me, and he died. And then God saw his sacrifice was enough, so he raised him from the dead, and now Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, if we place our faith and trust in Jesus, in the person of Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. All of the rebellion, all the heinous things that you've done in the past, all the things that you're doing right now, and all the things that you're going to do in the future can be wiped away by the blood of Jesus. But you have to believe in Jesus. This is the message that we share with the world. This is the message that brings peace. This is the message that shapes and, and, and cures broken lives. The message is that Jesus saves. Nothing else is going to work but Jesus. And this is what Paul was pointing the Corinthian church back to. Remember, don't follow me. It's I came and had a season in your life where I planted. And then Apollos come along and he, he watered it. But God, and remember that. That phrase is so important. When you see but God in scripture, it happens in a couple places. One is in Ephesians chapter, chapter two, when he first talks about the ways in which we used to live following the prince of the kingdom of the way of the air now in the sons of disobedience but then he says but God and then he goes and talks about the grace and mercy that's found in Jesus he, he, we see it here again he says but God is the one who causes things to grow Right, as a farmer, none of us are farmers that I know of, but some of you have gardens, right? You can do all of the work. You can take the, the plants and you can put it in good soil and you can water it, but you have no ability to make it grow. You realize that? Like you can put it in the right soil, expose it to the right sun, but you don't make it grow. You have no ability to make it grow. It's God that produces the growth. But you must be faithful. In the same way, we can't cause gospel growth, but we can do the work of the Lord by cultivating the soil, by sharing the seed, by watering it and coming along, and then God will be faithful to cause the growth. So that in the end, he gets the credit. Paul clearly says that they were missing the point and they were following the personality of people instead of the truth. And you know, I'm so encouraged. Um, I'm gonna just brag on our church just for a moment. It's been so encouraging uh, in the past couple of transitions that we've gone through to see just the way our people have embraced new leaders. You know, the transition from Pastor Dan uh, to, to me, 
I am so blown away how quickly you received me. How quickly there was no, didn't cause division. There was no, uh, I, I follow Pastor Dan and now I can't follow Pastor Jeff. Uh, you has embraced me. And I think you guys have really done this well. Even as we see the, the transition from Pastor Doug to Pastor Chris. In the same way, even though as great as Pastor Doug was, as, as, as helpful he was to the church, I don't feel like our church was ever following the personality of Pastor Doug. Pastor Doug always was clear, as we follow the Lord, we follow the Lord, we follow the Lord. And Pastor Chris is doing the same thing. And so I'm just so thankful for that. But in these days ahead, let me remind you, especially as time has been weird and our, our rhythms have um, begun to be messed up and we're trying to establish continued godly rhythms, maybe it's possible in this time your worldliness has come back to the forefront. Maybe some past sins that you've dealt with are now finding their way creeping back into your life. Well, let me encourage you that let, this, let the message today be a reminder that you're called to grow and we must stay committed to spiritually growing. And the way that we do that is we confess our sin. We lay our sin at the feet of Jesus and then receive his forgiveness. Or maybe you've, you've allowed yourself to feel uh, like you're in a faction or you feel like you're so divided and the church is divided. And I'll tell you, there's lots of ways, ways that our church can be divided in this season. And I'm so thankful for the way that many of you are working towards peace, understanding that we're all in different places. We're in different places as it, as it relates to, to faith and fear and, and what we think is the best path forward. I'm so thankful that this has not been a huge issue of contention. You guys have been doing a great job, but let's continue to do that. The second truth that I want us to see from this passage, and we'll get through it quickly, is that we need to continue to build on Christ. We believe in Christ, but then we continue to build on Christ. Look at me in verse 10 to 15. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skillful master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work, was, the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. For if anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire." So Paul is encouraging the church to continue to build on Christ and he moves from an agricultural illustration to talk about being a builder of buildings. And, and I think he begins this interesting phrase that sometimes we gloss over, but is the key to how we build on Christ. We must build by the grace of God or through the grace of God that he's given to you. That's the only way that we're gonna be able to do it. Because churches can come up with all kinds of programs and plans and all of that, but if they're not coming from the place of being covered by the grace of God, then it becomes an invention of man and not a work of the Spirit. And so don't lose sight of that as we begin to unpack this passage. It is according to the grace of God given to me that Paul became a master builder. His desire of his life was to be a master builder. 
He was in the process of building something that would magnify his Savior, that was laid on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It was the work that he gave his life over to. And if you look in this passage, he says that it's not only just the work of, the, of Paul, it is the work of the church. And then he goes on, he says, let each one take care of how he builds upon it. So in, in essence, there's, there's kind of a duality or a, a dual role here. He's talking about you as an individual. You are laying bricks or you're laying work or materials on the foundation of Christ. But so is the church. In this generation and in this time, our work is being laid on the foundation of Jesus and not all work is the same. Look here, he gives us six Uh, Types of material that are used, that are laid on the foundation. There's gold, there's silver, there's precious stones, there's wood, there's hay, and there's straw. And just by implication, what Paul is saying is there are good building materials and there are not good building materials. The good building materials are, are gold and silver and precious stones and the bad ones are wood, hay, and straw. Now here's the crazy thing about that. You can build a really, really, really quick building with a lot of wood. Right? That, that's quick work, but it takes a lot more time to build with things that are made that are worthwhile. It costs more money and it takes more time. Now, I want you to think about just in, in this season, what type of materials are you laying as you do the work of the Lord, as you stay true to his words and stay true to the mission that he's given us? What type of material are we laying on the foundation that God has for us. See, our message never changes and our mission never changes, but how we do them, how we work them out will be tested. All of our work will be measured. It, and the Bible says here that it will be tested by fire. There's coming a time when how we respond in this generation to the church and how we respond to the culture that's out there, it's going to be tested. And some are not gonna survive. The church will survive. The church is going to outlast us. The church is going to remain forever. But the pieces within that will be burnt by the fire. The church wins, but not all churches will survive. Not all Christians will live fruitful lives. I encourage us during the season, we need to take an inventory into the materials that we're using to build our lives and to build what materials we're using to build our church. He's not saying here that it's not talking about losing your salvation, but what he's talking about is losing our fruitfulness and our usefulness, that there is coming a test. History is going to judge the church and how it responds in this generation. It's important that we need to understand what's really going on in the world today. The church is losing ground in America, but God has called us to live specifically at this time and this age so that we can take the gospel message to the rest of the world. We must not in these days soften our message. There are some that wanna wanna preach a gospel that's inclusive of all things. And let me tell you this, the gospel is inclusive. 
It's inclusive to the fact that anyone can be saved, but it's exclusive to the fact is that the only way you can be saved is through Jesus. If anyone preaches anything other than that, it's not, a, it's not the right gospel. We can't cowtail to sin and say, well, that's okay. It, this kind of sin is okay because now our culture has, has said that it's allowable. That's not the way we're supposed to live. Jesus has clearly given us the way to live and peace is only found through Jesus. So we cannot soften the message, nor can we retreat from the mission. But it's in this time, in this way, that we learn the secrets of how to speak the truth in love. That's, that's the way I want us to march from this day forward, is to understand the gospel message, but speaking the truth in love. We don't need to be the church that stands in the corner and condemns everyone because they're sinful. We need to be the church that stands on the corner with a person that is laying there on the corner, showing them that Jesus loves them. We need to be there where people are at work and they're disagreeing with each other. Instead of putting fuel on that, we come with a gospel message. I would love this. People in the world today don't need to know what you think. They don't need to know what you feel. They need to know in whom you believe. Right? Like when you're talking with your friend that's worried about what they're going to do with their school, their kid's school this fall, is, and they're all worried about, like, is my kid going to be able to go to college and all this other stuff? What message are you coming to them with? Are you saying, well, the school board, the school board, the school board? Are you saying that Jesus says, trust in him? Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything, right? That's, that's where we engage in this time. Instead of continuing with the messages of the media and the message of the world, we come with the message of Jesus and we figure out what does Jesus say to the problems that are all around us and he speaks a lot and he has a lot to say. Again, the world doesn't need to know what you think. The world doesn't need to know what you, what you feel. The world needs to know what Jesus has already said. Let us be faithful. You want the church to last? You want to not be overwhelmed by, by the, the challenges that the church faces? We need to be people that are deeply embedded in the word of God, that we are in Christian community, that we are doing this together. This is not a time to live in isolation all on your own. It's time to come together and be a part of the family of God so that we have an army that's able to go out there with the love of Jesus. This is where we are going, church. This is what we're doing, and it's going to come at a price. It's going to come at a complete and absolute surrender from all of us. If we're not willing to do that, I pray that you spend some time saying, God, get me to the place of where I'm willing to say, my life is not my own. My children's life are not my own. With whatever you have before me, Jesus, I come now and I lay myself down ready to be used by you for the work that you have set before us. Church, this is the time where we focus on Jesus more and we live in his, the grace and mercy more and we see people experience the deep abiding love that we've experienced too. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message today. Father, I thank you that you have designed the church to grow. And Father, you have given us uh, the way to do that. You've given us Jesus. You've given us everything that we need in order to engage our culture but also live lives of worship before you. And so, Father, I pray in these moments, 
right now as we just spend some time in quiet reflection, I pray, God, that your spirit would be working inside of each one of us. Father, that you would be revealing to us areas of sin, ways in which we've stopped growing spiritually and we've um, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I pray, God, you'd bring those areas to mind and that we would confess them to you. And then I also pray that in this season we would recommit ourselves, that we would recommit ourselves to your mission, that we would say, God, use me in this season however you want to. And maybe, maybe what that commitment is is, is recommitting uh, back to the church, saying, I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna not only just be here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a part of this body, giving my talents and time and treasure to see the kingdom of God advanced in this place. But God, we so desperately need you. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this in our own way. So God, show us the ways in which you want us to go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.